Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you're inspired by what you heard, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about belonging, check my website, Journeys to Belonging, that's Journeys Number Two Belonging. Webstarts.com. See you next week. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Journeys to Belonging. Today's guest and I have only known each other for a few months, but immediately found commonalities in our thinking. Lise Farquhar posted about one of my earlier episodes that she heard on Stephen Hurley's Voice Ed Radio, and we've been interacting on Twitter ever since. Welcome, Lise. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you so much, Eileen. It is really a pleasure to speak with you. I enjoy listening to your episodes so much and connect with so much of what your guests say and uh, just always finds that I always find that it uh, opens my mind further. That's that's so awesome. And yeah, we're going to talk about opening your mind and your reflections and so forth a little bit later. So I didn't really say much of anything about who you are, what you do, where you are. So can you tell our listeners? So I am based in Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates. Originally, I'm Canadian, but I have spent I think I'm over half of my life now I've spent out of Canada. Um, But it's interesting, we stay connected because I am a teacher and have the incredible privilege of spending the summers back in Canada. I have uh, a family and so I take my sons back there and my husband usually joins us for part of the time as well. So we've maintained a a strong connection with Canada, but um, one of my... um, real, I don't know, I actually think as I get older, it's actually a bit of a claim to fame that I have lived in four provinces across Canada, which is not a typical Canadian experience. Mm -hmm. And uh, beyond that have lived on four different continents across the world. So I developed itchy feet at a young age and uh, have been very, very fortunate to to scratch them really. And uh, yeah, expand my journey around the world. Yeah, that is quite a claim to fame. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I teach visual art and I've been in my role for five years now, but I've been in education for over 20 and originally trained in Canada and got uh, my first work experience in Singapore, working in a Montessori school there. Mm -hmm. We then moved to the UK and lived in London. And then I got my UK qualified teacher status and worked as a a primary school teacher there, teaching everything from RE to PE, religious education to uh, physical education. And then we moved to Cyprus and I got into a role where I actually, because of the timing with my teaching, I got into IT. So when I went to university, I did a Bachelor of Fine Art and I've always been doing creative work. Mm -hmm. Uh, But once I got into teaching, I obviously embedded a lot of the arts in my classroom. But I was one of those younger people who knew how to jiggle the cables on the backs of printers at a time when everybody thought that that was like miracle work. Um, (laughs) And uh, I actually got involved in delivering training to teachers in the UK in the very first uh, versions of virtual learning and managed learning platforms. Um, So I have a really kind of diverse teaching experience um, with that whole side of digital learning and all the creative, all the creativity that comes with that. Um, So I had quite a lot of experience in a number of years in that role. And it's, it's just incredible to me that I'm kind of working towards the end part of my career and finally getting to the point where I had wanted to start and teaching visual art full-time and just in an about to enter a new chapter because I'm moving next year from teaching in the primary school to teaching in the secondary school so yeah some serious lifelong learning going on in my world Mm -hmm. new new challenges are always fun and it sounds like you're really up for it and Really, it is interesting that um, several of my guests have said, I'm sort of now getting 
to the place where I want it to be. And, and it feels good when you, when you get to that place. Yes. It's, um, it's so much fun. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's exciting. I'm glad to hear that you're, you're going to be working with a, a different set of students, although, you know, the, the challenges are different mm-hmm. and maybe the way you approach it is different, but, um, uh, I know how creative you are, so it'll be, it'll be interesting to see where it all goes. Yeah. Thanks. So as you know, because you've listened to my podcast, the very first question I always ask my guests is, if I say the word belonging or feeling a sense of belonging, what comes to mind? Well, I just want to give credit to you because I find it so intriguing, the diversity in responses that your gift that your guests give it's really fascinating to me um, and for me I would say that adaptability uh, is the key word connected to belonging I when I was young I was extremely shy and quiet and my parents we moved a lot when I was young so I was you know, forced to get into situations Mm -hmm. where it was new, it was unfamiliar, Mm -hmm. and it pushed me out of my little world and out of my comfort zone. And eventually, over time, I learned to adapt faster and faster. And I, I really absolutely love being in new situations. And um, being able to adapt quickly so that I can gain a sense of belonging. So for me, it's all about adaptability. And the more I, you know, I know it's not the same for everyone, um, but I just find that I, I really needed to be forced into that situation. Um, I always wonder if my parents had been settled and we had remained in the same place for a period of time, whether I would be as um, outgoing as I am now. Um, but uh, yeah, so I think adaptability, because the more you can adjust and read, read the group of people you're in and um, quickly understand the, the ways um, and the traditions and the, the context uh, that you're in and adapt to it and embrace it the more you will feel a sense of belonging. Uh, we've been in the UAE now for 12 years. Wow. And we often would travel over to Oman to go camping or mm-hmm. to go and, and visit some, you know, just different landscapes and environments. And there. Oh, just, I, oh, I'm in love with Oman. It's just such a wonderful place. Mm-hmm. And one time we crossed over the border, returning to the UAE. And we got into the uh, Emirati border control and you've all, you know, obviously have to show your passport and the Emirati border control men said, welcome home to us. And my husband and I just looked at each other like, wow, that is, oh, it was just, you know, it was just such a wonderful moment to, mm-hmm. you know, have that acknowledgement of belonging to a place where you feel you belong um, you know, by, uh, by the country. So having traveled a lot, that was, that was a really significant moment. Yeah. There are so many different layers that I'm getting to that. You're my first, the first guest who's mentioned adaptability. And so my first thought was, gee, chicken and egg, you know, did the adaptability come from, and then you mentioned, well, I sometimes wonder if my parents had moved around a lot, if it really would have and then I'm thinking the layer of you're moving around so much and you're, you're talking about adapting, understanding the culture, embracing. And then that final thought about welcome, you know, being welcomed home and for your husband and you to have that immediate connection to, yeah, that feels really nice. There are just so many different layers to that whole idea of adaptability that I would never have thought about but with your your story and your, your example it it so so makes sense well and it's so it's interesting because my my two sons they're now uh, 11 and 13 and they we we really only go to Canada in the summers and we do this massive cross Canada tour because my husband's from the west coast and I'm from mm-hmm. uh, Ontario and we you know we spend our time uh, between both locations and so they don't, uh, 
they go to summer camps and they have uh, built a few friendships, but they're very short-lived and they don't maintain them over the year. But when, when you ask them where they are from, you know, they say, well, I'm from Canada, mm-hmm. even though they have spent their entire lives, really, my younger son was born here. And, um, and they, they belong in these two places, regardless of the fact that there's their sense of belonging in Canada is so completely different. But again, I think it comes down to this. They are also very adaptable children. Mm -hmm. And so they're able to roll with it. And when we travel to different places, they adapt very quickly to, uh, to the environments. So they quickly, you know, they really already have that sense that where you lay your head is home kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So they're very, uh, we are all very quick to have a a quick sense of belonging, I think, as a result and, of adaptability. Yeah, and, and that's so important too that you've been able to give that, you know, gift that really to your children. Yes. That they do have, because there are so many third culture kids, as they, you know, typically call them, the TCKs who travel the world, but are from somewhere else, who really find it difficult to adapt once they're back in their home countries and Mm -hmm. often they end up um, getting a job or or going to college in different places other than where they would normally call home. So Mm -hmm. it's wonderful to hear that your sons already feel that sense of home because they do understand that it's adapting and they have that appreciation of the culture and where they're from even Mm -hmm. though, like you said, your younger son has never really lived there other than just visiting. Yes. Um, So yeah, so that's that's really awesome. I'd love to get into more about you. And so you talked a lot about traveling and we know that now you're in the Emirates, but I wonder if you could go a little bit deeper into some of your experiences about how you, your family, and your students feel the sense of belonging no matter where we are. So you talked about adaptability. And for somebody who doesn't really understand how that works or hasn't really traveled very much or lived other places, how does that work for you? How did you finally come to terms with all of that so that you really enjoy it, but on top of that, you feel the sense of belonging? Uh, one of the things, uh, it, well, if I bring it straight away to my classroom. I teach in an international school Mm -hmm. that uh, delivers the international baccalaureate framework. And so international mindedness is, you know, a big part of the mission and vision of of the IB and of our school. And we're in a really unique uh, environment because our school is a truly international school. The diversity is absolutely incredible. There's no dominant culture Mm -hmm. and there's no affiliation with any one country, um, which is, you know, not actually the typical international school. True. And so I feel really fortunate to be there uh, and teaching art, especially because in the lessons, I just am always striving to give as much choice as possible to the students so that they can make their own connections as they need to. I do encourage and I try as often as possible to give a UAE uh, perspective when I'm giving examples or making suggestions or trying to make connections because that is the uniting experience Mm -hmm. for the children and so if we're looking at uh, you know an example we we were looking at logo design just as an example so we looked at logos of you know the the seven emirates in the UAE and so each emirate like a province or like a state they have their own style of uh, logo for promotion and so the Abu Dhabi logo has a very traditional feel to it it has a Mm -hmm. unique font style and the Dubai logo is much more modern. Mm-hmm. And when the logo for Ajman has um, these uh, sort of castle-like fortress style towers in it, connected to a historic building in there. And so I tried to give examples that are uh, based locally and then have the students engage with that so that the Emirati students feel uh, a sense of ownership and uh, 
you know, celebration and acknowledgement. Uh, and then the students who are new gain more in, information mm -hmm. and the ones who've been here for quite some time, they can relate and connect. Mm -hmm. And then that'll be the starting point as an example. And then they will move from that point to being able to connect with the culture that uh, is that they wish to embrace. And sometimes they will go off uh, in a direction that is unpredictable and it's based on their friendships that they're forming. And so, you know, you'll have a student who's from Mexico who is wanting to create something inspired by a, a, a pattern that you see in, in Poland because mm -hmm. their, their new best friend is from Poland and they, they want to make connections that way. Wow. Um, so I would say that one of the things that I do for them to feel a sense of belonging is allow them to and not allow, promote, promote uh, them having as much choice as possible mm -hmm. so that they feel that what they are creating belongs to them and they can truly speak to it from their perspective uh, yeah. and connect their interests to it. Right, yeah, student agency is so important and often neglected. We talk about student choice and voice, but mm -hmm. it's really more than that. It's not just choosing something simple. It's really feeling deeply, like you said, those friendships or those, those, um, those things that we connect to on a mm -hmm. feeling basis, mm -hmm. uh, rather than just on, oh, I think this is what my teacher wants. Yes. And then choosing yes. that, you know, trying to please the teacher. So yeah, that whole idea of agency really is connected to belonging. It's so important. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I um, often generate a sense of uh, chaos in my not a sense. Oh, of <laughs> I often generate That's part of the creative process, process isn't it? <laughs> yeah, because I will. You know, they are often. You know, obviously, they they will believe there is one right answer to things, which mm -hmm. of course is simply not the case in art. And uh, so when there are when there is so much choice on offer it uh, it can be really overwhelming to mm -hmm. them um which again is why i try to give uh give guidance for them to to connect to something very personal to them um but uh yeah it's quite it's quite interesting to see that unravel sometimes like please yeah. just tell me and you're like i can't tell you because <laughs> <laughs> it's not within me it's within you <laughs> right. Yeah. Is that is that a project that you do earlier in the school year or later in the school year? Uh, well, uh, my teaching partner and I, Mark Ryan, he and I developed the first year that we started teaching together at Raha. Um, we <laughs> spontaneously uh, rolled out this introduction lesson to to get to know the students and to, you know, for them to find their way at the beginning of the year and for us yeah. as well as new art teachers to the school. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, we were both new to teaching art full time as well. Oh, interesting. And so we ended up developing something spontaneously that actually is something we repeated year after year. Mm -hmm. And it was so that we set the tone at the very start of the year uh, to facilitate the students understanding that they were in the driver's seat. Mm -hmm. And so we call it the shape provocation. And each year we create these stencils. And uh, the first year it was kind of a bit like an arrow, but kind of like a fish. And if you mm -hmm. turn the shape in another direction, it could look like a carrot. Or So it was oh. very much about your perspective mm -hmm. and how is your perspective when you look at a particular shape, how is it connected to your interests, your mm -hmm. culture, or um, you know, your experiences? Wow. And so we started the year out with this, it was kind of a, a provocation really. Mm -hmm. And we would do it with all the students from grade one to five. And it was such a telling uh, activity because depending on the way the students address this challenge, you could almost predict where they would be at the end of the year in terms of their progress. And oh, so you wow. could, I, yeah, they would, um, you know, you'd have the kids who just straight away saw something immediately and mm -hmm. shared it. You would see the students who sat back and looked and listened. And, and when you turned it a certain way, then they would spark. Uh, and then you would, 
we used it as an opportunity for the students to get to know what materials were in the room and how they could access them and what their mm -hmm. preferences were. And so you would see the students who they, they just wouldn't move away from a pencil and, and color pen or something very, very familiar that they knew they had control over. Oh, okay. And then you would see the other students who were just wildly experimenting mm -hmm. and layering and splashing paint. And by the end of it, the shape had disappeared from their, <laughs> their image. <laughs> Goodness. Mm -hmm. So that was, uh, that's, you know, again, just one of the ways of, uh, of again, the students developing ownership over mm -hmm. a space so that they, they feel they belong straight away. Sure. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, as I mentioned in my introduction of how we met, you make a habit of reflecting on podcasts you've listened to um, since you consider it, and so do I, a part of your professional development. What started you doing this and why is it important to take time and make time and reflect? Because not, especially educators, we find difficulty finding the time and also thinking about doing it. Mm. Uh, I, again, I've been uh, into surfing the web for uh, as long as it's been going really. And early on, I, you know, would read and uh, get into teacher blogs. Mm -hmm. And I was always just so blown away by the amount of content that people produced that was out there and how valuable it was. And I always aspired to start writing a blog. And when I taught kindergarten one year, I developed a, a class blog, but it was more of a, a communications and a celebration mm -hmm. kind of platform. And so I just couldn't get, didn't get started or, um, you know, sustain that practice. Right. And uh, again, a couple of years ago, I have to give credit to Mark Ryan here again, where he started up a podcast and got into Twitter and he kept saying, come on, Lisa, like jump on board here. You know, <laughs> what do you mean you're not listening to podcasts? And what do you mean you're not on Twitter? And I was like, oh, you know, no, not going there. And, uh, and then I started to realize what a valuable opportunity it was to develop my own, uh, my own practice in terms of communication, developing my communication skills. I am very well known for talking too much. And oh, wow. <laughs> the reason is because I have only fairly recently realized that mm -hmm. I just can't process my thoughts until they are spoken aloud and oh, wow. you know yeah so a lot of people obviously they they listen they contemplate they you know everyone processes in a mm -hmm. different way and I just discovered that is one of the reasons I ramble so much and so I really set myself the goal to try to become more concise mm -hmm. in my my speaking and so when I started seeing these run and rent videos that people were producing and started to look at Twitter and how that worked. And, you know, you have this very <laughs> finite amount of time where you can speak your thoughts and trying to really condense it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I would speak for five minutes and think, okay, we start that again. And so I actually got into it to develop my skills in communicating in a more concise way. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I kind of, I wasn't bothered with how many people saw it. And I quickly got over being concerned about being self-conscious or what have you, because I thought I am really, truly doing this for myself. And then I listened to Brian Carpenter, who does the Fresh Air at Five podcast. And when I caught his, one of his uh, episodes, I just, I, I thought this is this is it for me. Mm -hmm. I really value the amount of time that people put into creating content and sharing it. And I benefit so much from it. You know, it's like consuming YouTube videos and always thinking yes. I must give back. I must do a how-to <laughs> yeah. video. Um, and so I thought, how do I let people know that I've listened to and acknowledged their, uh, what they've created? Um, you know, ideally, I would like to write and blog about it. But at this point in my life, you know, sitting down to write a blog mm -hmm. on a daily basis, I, uh, you know, obviously, it's possible, but I'm just not there at the moment. 
And so I thought, well, if I just do these, you know, very short reflections on where the podcast took my thinking and the connections mm-hmm. that I made with it, um, that's kind of a, it has sort of a dual purpose. It's uh, sure. yeah, giving credit and uh, showing gratitude towards what people had created and letting them know uh, the connections that it made for me. So that was uh, the springboard for that. Yeah. And what's really nice is because I've, I've been able to catch uh, quite a few of them is that in its own way, although you're doing it for yourself, it's professional development for others because we, we get to see different ways that people are reacting, responding to what's being said within the podcast or the topic and so forth. And it really starts us thinking, gee, you know, is that, that what I took away? And if not, I wonder, I wonder maybe I missed something or, or maybe I need to look at this again. Mm. So it's really helpful. So it's actually be, uh, become another piece of my professional development, uh, listening to what you're saying. And I know now you're very involved with uh, listening to the Staff Room podcast that Che and Pav do and that their topics are just so, uh, you know, current Mm-hmm. many times and I know that you did a guest blog recently for them so you are blogging a little bit but yeah mm-hmm. having a blog and thinking about doing it regularly I know there are weeks where you know I used to do once a week there are weeks where just spirit doesn't move me or I'm you know busy so if you if you start blogging it's it's difficult but you know picking up the phone or walk taking a walk and recording your reflections while mm-hmm. it's still fresh in your mind Mm-hmm. is much easier to do. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just sustaining things as well. It can be difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved what Tim Cavey did uh, a little while ago with his, you know, he's just always re- reinventing himself. I like to describe him as uh, the Madonna of podcasters because he's, <laughs> he's just, it's phenomenal what he has produced and all the different mm-hmm. experiments and explorations he's done. And uh, he did a series where he was, you know, amplifying the voices of, uh, of blogging educators. And he just had them read their blog aloud because one of the things I find is that I, I don't tend to sit still. Uh, if I am on my computer, it's because I'm doing something related to school. Okay. And um, so, but I'm, I, when I go out walking, you know, I just, I love listening or if we're going on a car, you know, a long car journey. I will, uh, I'll be listening to things. And so I love, you know, taking in what these people have said uh, and the audio format really suits, suits me really well. Um, so it's, uh, it's been good. Yeah. Listening to podcasts is something that I just got into within the last couple of years and in terms of education, just within the last two or so, mm-hmm. because I, you know, I was listening to podcasts for just my own general benefit for interest NPR programs Mm -hmm. and all of that. So yeah, but there are just so many educators out there who are sharing wonderful things and just their perspective, because as international educators, we sometimes get in a rut because although we're connected to others, if we don't have that network that sort of expands outside of our local area we're, mm-hmm. we're missing a lot because there's so much that's going on in education right now oh yeah and it's yeah. also reinforcing for us especially this past year and okay we're we're okay because other people are feeling the same way we are exactly yeah it's um well and i got listening to you because of your connection with voice ed radio that stephen hurley produces and you know again just thinking about um, always striving to be open-minded. I just, I love randomly at different times of the day, just popping that on, you know, when I'm on my way home or in the morning and, you know, very different times of the day and catching different things Mm -hmm. and, and picking up on something that I had never thought I would have an interest in or, had a you know I wouldn't have sought out that information or to listen to those speakers 
Um, but I just love the value in, in that, you know, just sort of <laughs> popping on these random things and them generating random thoughts that actually lead you to tying things up more neatly and consolidating your thinking. Yeah. And finding out about something that you, like you said, we, we wouldn't normally search it out, mm -hmm. but is really fascinating. And I, I miss Stephen Hurley's live shows in the morning. And I understand why he sort of had to, had to let that go for now, yeah. but they're, they're just, there is just so, so much rich content on mm -hmm. voice ed. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are other broadcasting places where you can go, but voice ed really is, is um, a place that I know a lot of educators have found connections, which is, yeah. which is really, really awesome. And I, and I believe that's one of the things that Stephen was hoping would happen when mm -hmm. he's when he started it four and a half or four and it's a bit years ago so mm -hmm. um lisa i wanted to ask you i can't really this may sound strange but i can't really call you an art teacher because you're so much more than that <laughs> um but uh so how do you describe what you do because there's so much to your classes i know you're teaching in an ib school mm -hmm. but still it's not easy for every teacher even an art teacher to, to look at inquiry, curiosity, creativity, cre critical thinking, and all of that, that exists in an art program, an art class, or should exist anyway, and an IB program, which is very project-based. Mm -hmm. But you, you take it to different levels. So, so describe what you do and maybe you know, hit upon a, a one or two examples of, of things in the past that have really sort of resonated with you or that you had a lot of fun with and, and seemed to resonate with the students? Uh, I would, I've always described myself as a jack of all trades, master of none. Uh, when I was in high school, I had a, a, a teacher who I, it was in science and I had a lab partner and he was very, very skilled when it came to drawing and cartooning. Mm -hmm. And I remember one time I was, you know, sketching out our ideas because this, he's this teacher, he was just fantastic. And he would have us record our lab reports in the form of a comic strip. And so my lab partner, Nick, he always got that job because he was the star when it came to drawing. But it was me who would, you know, I was sketching out the ideas and I remember, uh, my teacher, Mr. Wiley, coming and saying, well, you know, what are you doing? You're not the artist. You know, make sure, you know, Nick should be doing that. And I remember thinking, well, okay, wait a minute. Like, what is an artist, really? Yeah. And, um, and he didn't, you know, he certainly didn't mean it in any kind of a way, mm -hmm. but it stuck with me. And I think that it has always kind of been a little bit of you know it's sort of always challenged my thinking right. and so um I didn't take art in high school not once we had oh. electives as soon as I, I don't ever remember having you know distinct art classes in primary school we had a music teacher and we did music but art was always integrated and I'm not one to practice and and those are the kinds of things that it, you know it takes repetition and practice to become good at drawing sure. and the typical viewpoint is that you know if you can draw a dog that looks like a dog then you are an artist and um i i didn't experience that so i didn't ever take art in high school uh, but i wanted to be in the creative world and get into interior design or something like that mm -hmm. and um Anyway, did a bunch of other things before I got uh, into doing my Bachelor of Fine Art. Um, but I think that the, so my experience as an art teacher really is connected to my experience as a homeroom teacher mm -hmm. and my, in general, my general viewpoint that it's learning through the arts that offers you that opportunity to apply your thinking and learning from other areas of the curriculum mm -hmm. uh, into a, a new format. And I see the arts as a form of communication, like a language. And so when I started working in the IB, I was just so, I just felt at home with it because it encouraged transdisciplinary learning. Mm -hmm. 
Yes. When I taught in the UK, I taught every subject and I brought an arts-based learning approach to my teaching, but it was also partly because it was practical. You know, you had only so many hours in the week and mm -hmm. so much content to cover. The only way to deliver it was to interweave everything. So through geography and history and RE and maths, everything mm -hmm. and literacy, everything was done. And it was arts that joined it all together, really. Um, and so I really champion that, that perspective mm -hmm. that it's learning through art, not about art. Nice. That is the, where the greatest value lies. And so in school, I'm always trying to connect to what we call the units of inquiry. So the students may have a, a more science-directed unit. So our grade twos a couple of years ago, they were looking at the properties of matter and learning, you know, being introduced to the scientific method and testing mm -hmm. and processes and, and things. And so when they came into the art room, we looked at how do you uh, create secondary colors? Mm -hmm. And one thing in terms of uh, the learning environment as the third teacher, one thing that I do is when we order supplies, I try to only ever order things in the primary colors when it comes to paint and oil pastels, especially. So that if a student says, well, I need green, then you say, well, you, you have what you need to make green. Um, nice. What do you need? <laughs> so you're always reinforcing this. Mm -hmm. And it comes nicely into play in this unit about the properties of matter uh, because the students, you know, you're only provided with the primary colors. And uh, for this example, it was with paint. And uh, eventually, you know, the students had to, we gave them a still life setup of some fruit. And it was a plate with some green grapes and uh, sorry, purple grapes, some green pears and an orange. And they had to use their observation skills to create this uh, still life drawing of the fruit on the plate. And then with blue, red, and yellow, they had to mix the colors and they had to get the exact match. And wow. so we had them doing, you know, setting their page up to do test mm -hmm. strips. How much yellow do you need to mix with the blue? Do you mix the yellow first? Do you, you know, where do you start? How do you? So of course, you know, when a student wants to make orange, they'll take an equal amount of things. And so again, you're sort of bringing those scientific principles of experimentation mm -hmm. and testing into the art room and giving them this practical application of it. So that's kind of an example of a transdisciplinary unit. Um, mm -hmm. When they're doing learning about body systems, we look at figure drawing and use, you know, those old fashioned wooden mannequins. Yes. Favorite thing to use when it comes to figure drawing. Um, but that then connects to body systems, but as well mathematics. And when it comes to sharing the, the learning outcome with the students, at no time do I say, okay, today we are learning to draw a figure. Uh, it's always, we are learning to use proportion or our understanding of proportion oh. to create a figure or, you know, and always bringing mathematical language into it. Sure. So if you the use- The vocabulary is so important. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and so, you know, how many heads tall are you? So, you know, you're talking about ratio, you're talking about fractions, you're mm -hmm. talking about symmetry, all of these mathematical concepts in the art room. And so I really value my experience as a homeroom teacher, okay. because I'm able to bring that into the art room. And I, it's interesting, because people who, you know, have only ever taught art uh, as a separate element of the curriculum it's very difficult because the the ability to flow between the different disciplines is, mm -hmm. is difficult um, so when I move up to secondary one of my my key aims is to try to continue that that connection between the the dif disciplines that's such a refreshing perspective <laughs> to, to look at you know what we would normally consider a subject separate subject area where you learn to draw and paint and sculpt and look at it as so connected and integrated with everything else. And when you're talking about an international population, obviously you're talking about students 
who English is a second language for them mm -hmm. or an additional language for them. They mm -hmm. may have quite a few languages. Yeah. And so being able to reinforce the vocabulary of the content areas that is unfamiliar to them is so important also. And not just talking about it in terms of this is art, I'm in the art room, you're in the art room, and this is only what we're going to be doing, but looking mm -hmm. at from the broader, broader perspective, I, I love it. I love yeah. it. I try and bring in the UN global goals into all of my lessons as well. And mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's very interesting to see where the students take that. So I don't do a deep dive into, you know, the number one thing that the students uh, will ask when they see, you know, SDG number one, no poverty is, miss, what is poverty? What does that mean? <laughs> like, yeah. oh, so I, uh, I wish that there was an opportunity to kind of go deeper with mm -hmm. that with them, but that I think I will have the opportunity when I'm in the secondary school to go further with that, you know, extending their understanding of that. But even just on a superficial level, bringing the global goals into the art room as well, it again, thinking about the purpose of creating art, because for me in school, in the school context, that is what it's all about. Um, they'll ask me, you know, oh, can I, you know, draw, follow this video? And I'm like, at home, you've got loads of time that you can dedicate to, you know, that, that side of uh, what you want to, to develop mm -hmm. yourself. But, you know, in school, I'm always trying to, again, like direct them towards to making, making those connections and using art as a form of communication, not, not simply for the aesthetics or the, the pleasure of it or what have you. When you bring in the global goals as well, that we, I just recently did some work uh, when the students were doing a unit connected to business and ethics. Mm -hmm. And I brought up the global goals and I said, so the business that you're creating, and they were creating businesses where they were making films to share or making That's little fun. products that they would sell and what have you. Mm -hmm. And I'd say, well, which one of the goals is your, your product connected to? And at first they were like, what are you talking about? You know, it, is this an art class? You know, like, why are you asking me about this? <laughs> but the number of students who migrated to gender identity oh. and was phenomenal. And it, it created this conversation in the classroom that would never have happened had I not projected the yeah. 17 goals on the board. Right. And it got them saying, oh yeah, when I, you know, I want to create these little videos that appeal to boys and girls equally because I don't like it when there's a show that my sister wants to watch, but it's mm -hmm. only really for girls, uh, when, you know, and, um, you know, oh, a group of kids who wanted to create a, a book for footballers. And then you have that conversation, you know, when you create your logo, like who is your product for, you know, it's, and it took mm -hmm. them off on these tangents. Um, and then it, it informed the color scheme choices that they made ah. to make sure that they were being gender neutral mm -hmm. or that they were emphasizing, you know, it's for boys and girls and following a stereotype, but with great intention. Those, so I, I, you know, art teacher is my title, but I see myself as a, a facilitator of learning and a facilitator of creativity. And I try to avoid using the capital A artist mm -hmm. word in my classroom. I, you know, I don't say, oh, okay, with your artist, how do, you know, what do you think as my artist or what have you? I mm -hmm. do not speak that way. So I think more of the, you know, <laughs> lowercase A for artist where it's, mm -hmm. it, it is embedded and interwoven into everything, you know, okay. people who, you know, when you say, can you, um, does, an en does engineering a solution to a problem? Does that make mm -hmm. you an engineer? So, ah, does, yes. Yeah. Does mm -hmm. creating something in an artistic way make you an artist? You know, what is an artist? I, I think of it as a profession. Mm -hmm. so when we have a summative assessment, I might say, as an interior designer, take this composition that you've made think of your color scheme and what it you know so you might have the hat of an artist on mm -hmm. but very much as a profession whereas on a daily basis art is for exploring and experimenting and right and making connections yeah and communicating like you said I love the fact that lately over the last five to ten years 
you start to hear the word creatives, mm. which to me is more inclusive. Mm-hmm. And so when you're talking about, because people have the perception that if I can't draw very well, or I'm not working in the arts per se, that the perception that I have of what the arts is, I'm not artistic. I'm mm-hmm. not an artist. I can't be an artist. Mm-hmm. And it's so restrictive. So you're being able to put that small A on, on the artist and the artistic means that it is more inclusive because mm-hmm. no matter how I use art to communicate, I'm an artist. I am a creator. I am a creative, which is, and, which is really amazing. Yeah. And there are so many sides to it. You know, I have students who, oh, you know, they cannot draw to save their lives and, and neither can I. Like it just simply, it's, it's not my strength. It's not my interest. I'm a I'm more of a three-dimensional person. Mm-hmm. I, I like constructing and building. My focus at university was in pottery and three-dimensional mm-hmm. form and, and things. I'm very messy. I, you know, my <laughs> creations never, you know, I'm not a planner. I'm a very reactionary, responding mm-hmm. kind of a person. And th- there are some students in the class at such a young age where their strength is in interpreting art or seeing oh. connections. Mm-hmm. And, you know, making sure that you hear them and celebrate how ingenious their thoughts are um, and sharing with the students that, you know, this person who you may not view as skilled and having a strength mm-hmm. in art, mm-hmm. um, you know, really is as equally valuable. And right. they may actually, over the course of their lifetime, develop uh, a connection with the arts even stronger than the kids mm-hmm. who are very technically skilled at, at drawing so I'm, I'm always fighting against that <laughs> yes yeah mm-hmm. I'm glad you are we have an advocate in the room yeah. that's wonderful yeah yeah. Well, the, yeah the kids laugh because I always say I hate drawing and they're, they're Miss Lees how can you be an art teacher and hate drawing and uh yeah it's good it's hard and you know mm-hmm. it's it's a certain it's a certain person who you know mm-hmm. it's like the people who are accomplished pianists they're accomplished because they practiced and it's, it's their thing. Right. So, yeah, absolutely. Oh, this has been so amazing, Lise. I hate for it to end. Is there anything that you wanted to talk about or any other advice that you'd like to give our listeners before we finish up? Uh, well, there was one question that I had for you and okay. it's about uh, the name of the podcast being journeys to learning Uh, sorry journeys towards belonging and I thought a journey has an end and when you're talking about uh, when it comes to belonging uh, on a journey to belonging do you feel that there is an end destination or is the journey to belonging really just a series of stops along the way so is there a great question you're turning the tables on me. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So you know, do you see there being an end point when it comes to a journey to belonging? Uh, no, not really. Because for me, the journey is the discovery along the way. Mm-hmm. And so I think that we journey all our lives trying to discover that sense of belonging And the older and hopefully wiser we get, the more we understand ourselves, achieve that sense of self-belonging and are able to have those really wonderful, strong relationships with others, both professionally and personally, because we are, you know, confident, we have self-efficacy, we know ourselves so well. And so, yeah, I, I look at it as a journey and then looking back towards sort of toward the end of life, whenever that is, mm-hmm. would be, you know, becoming a good ancestor, meaning what am I, what legacy am I leaving for the planet, for the world, for others, for my children? And what does that look like? You know, how am I really leaving something, uh, a footprint, a good footprint? Yeah. So yeah, thank you. That's such a great question. Thank you for asking it. How how do you view it? Uh, Yeah, I think it's it's that same. I think what you've said uh, really sums it up so nicely, especially the the idea that at the end of this 
this journey you are passing on ensuring that the future generations are able to access a sense of belonging is, uh, is just such a nice way of summing it up. You know, it just, it just got me thinking when I was uh, mm. reflecting on, on the title of your podcast. I thought, wait, yeah. is, you know, is there, is there an endpoint? And do mm. some people, you know, when you're younger, you have this idea that there is this, the ultimate goal that you're aiming for, you know, the, mm -hmm. the house with the white picket fence mm -hmm. or what have you. Um, you know, or, or always being a, a traveler and being a nomad. Um, mm -hmm. And once you, you know, achieve that goal that you had set for yourself and you feel that you have found your place and you belong there, mm -hmm. you know, do you remain unmovable and, uh, and, and, and stay in a place of belonging? And I wonder if people who, people do actually experience that where mm -hmm. their sense of belonging really is fixed in in place uh so yeah, just yeah. more that is to something to contemplate yeah. yeah yeah we could probably write a book together about it <laughs> <laughs> yeah but uh, thank you so much for just being such a positive influencer uh and just again you know provoking thinking and connecting people through their ideas and and going beyond just the education realm as well and interviewing people who are who are connected in in different ways to the world of education yeah yeah it's been a learning journey for me too and so it's so so kind of you and so wonderful of you to say that and and it i'm so happy that we made the connection through the podcast, which is really interesting. And then for me to be able to have you on is just a joy. Um, Lise, people want to hop off and uh, find you after this. And of course, I'll include this in the show notes. Where's the best, where are, or where are the best places to find you? Uh, I think the easiest place is uh, simply to find me on Twitter. Mm -hmm. uh, my handle is at L underscore Farquhar underscore IB, which I think clearly shows that when I signed into Twitter, I really didn't understand how it worked. Um, <laughs> but it's a little bit too late to reinvent myself there. Um, so it's a little bit of a tricky one. And hopefully you can uh, get a visual on that because Farquhar is not the easiest name to spell. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do want to tell you, um, I you definitely can change it because uh, <laughs> But the question is, do you want to? And uh, then make sure that everybody knows about it too. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, it actually is a good identification for you because really the, the whole idea of IB mm -hmm. is all that you're about. That whole inquiry project, curiosity, all the things that we talked about today. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I definitely cannot separate my professional life from my personal life, that's for sure. <laughs> That's amazing. Thank mm -hmm. you so much, Lise. Right. This has been a wonderful, wonderful, I don't know how long, but it, you know, yeah. it felt like 15 minutes, but I, I got to know you so well. Thank you so much. Thank you too, Eileen. Hi, and welcome to Journeys to Belonging podcast with host Dr. Eileen Winokur, featuring awesome educators and leaders who share their journeys, advice, and personal stories about feeling a sense of belonging.